morning to you. I'm glad that you've joined us on a Memorial Day weekend. It's a day where many people are out at the lake and enjoying um, what looks to be a, a great weather day today, but I'm glad that you're here. I truly believe that, that we have some good stuff um, in our worship service today. Well, I, I want to talk about a look that people give me, and it's not necessarily the look that you guys are giving me right now. That's a little bit different. Um, but the look that people give me happens when I, they ask about my children. And let me explain what I mean. Is they'll, they'll talk about my kids, and, and I'll, they'll say, oh, you know, so how old are your kids? They're growing up real fast. And, you know, so I'll say, well, Hannah, she's almost two years old, and Elijah, he's four months old. And then they look at me, and, and, and right at that point, that's the look that I'm talking about. It's that look that, like, in their minds, they're laughing, laughing at me, thinking, you have two children under two years old. And, and it's kind of that look they don't want to laugh out loud because they feel like that might be rude. But, but they give me that look, and some of you all have given me that look. And some of you have even patted me on the shoulder with that, hmm, rough time for you, Yvette. That feeling, it's, it's that look, that little snicker. I'm convinced that if you make it through parenting a, a toddler, that you should get an award. I mean, I think like a new car or you should get like a lazy boy. You should get some type of award for making it through parenting a toddler. My daughter, Hannah, is a high-maintenance um, young lady. And if you've ever been around her, you know this. There are, there are chilled-out babies. That's Elijah. That's my son. There are high-maintenance kids, and that is Hannah. Um, she wants your attention all the time. If things don't go her way, she lets you and all of our neighbors know about it. Um, she is high maintenance. Hannah throws fits like you wouldn't believe. I don't know if you guys knew this. I mean, I thought that the fits where kids stomp their feet, I thought that was just a television thing. It is not. I don't know where she got it from. I don't stomp my feet, but my daughter, when she gets mad at just this week, no, and she would stomp her feet, and then she falls to the floor with drama. I mean, she, she is just, you would think that the whole world had come crashing down because, like, her water was placed in the wrong place. My daughter, and maybe you can relate, is that way, and that's the look you guys give me. The look that I know what's going on in your home. And yes, you're right, it does. And it drives me crazy. And sometimes those temper tantrums are hilarious. Sometimes they are so frustrating. But one thing I've learned in watching my daughter is that as human beings, you and I, we have this incredible capacity to process emotion. It's unbelievable. The way that we handle and process the feelings that we encounter in life. You see, the cool thing about Hannah is that she's learning how to process anger. She's learning how to process disappointment. She's learning how to process when her parent, her mom or her dad says no. That's a big one. She's not used to that. She's learning how to process disappointment and sadness and anger and frustration. And the way that it comes out, it's like fireworks. And what it tells me about us as humans is that we have this incredible capacity to process and experience emotion as we live our lives and the levels in which we deal with those emotions are unbelievable. It makes you want to be a cat, doesn't it? I mean, it does me. I always thought growing up, a cat, what a great life. I mean, they lay around and they don't do anything except for if they want to play, they play. If they want to eat, they eat. The difference about a cat and a dog, I, I, I've, um, you give dogs a certain amount of food at certain times, the cats get the food all the time. 
It's always in their bowl. Dogs walk over to their bowl and it's empty. Cats always have food. And so I would love to be a cat because you just get to lay around, take it easy, eat whenever you want. And if you want to chase the laser pointer, you can do that too. (laughs) You just hang out. But you know what's really wild? is that this incredible capacity that we have, I mean, we, we are so um, blessed and rich in our, in our hearts and our lives to process emotion, but the crazy thing about our American culture is that we minimize the way we process emotion, that we take the two-year-old temper tantrums and try and turn it into a cat, and so that by the time that we're older, we've learned that the way we process emotion is like a cat. It's no big deal. It's just part of life. The crazy thing about Americans is we don't grieve like other countries grieve. We don't celebrate as wildly often as other countries celebrate. We don't process difficult times the way a two-year-old does. And now let's be honest. Teaching my two-year-old to calm down, it's okay, use words, don't cry, all that's good. But in a strange way, I'm teaching her that her emotions should be ignored and that she should just kind of be more like a cat. Well, I think that can cause some problems. And today, as we address our topic, we're going to kind of look, about, look at that. That when we encounter some emotional difficulties, sometimes where, where life comes caving down on us, this deal about our culture, where it kind of tries to, to bottle up our emotion into something nice and neat, It causes us to get lost when we do hit some bumps in the road and not to know how to respond as in a very healthy way. Sometimes when we hit difficulties, we just don't know how to react. We've been told all of our lives to hold it in. And sometimes we hit the breaking point, and sometimes we throw the two-year-old temper tantrum. But I don't have to convince you today, and I know this is true, that all of you, including myself, we all go through difficulties. We all are going to experience hard times in life. I don't have to tell you um, and, and convince you your life is really hard. You know life is hard. You know that there are difficulties, and some of you today are right in the middle of a difficult time. In the midst of those difficulties, the questions that get asked are, how do we love God when life comes crashing down? How do I still love God when my life is unlovely? How do I love a, a good God when life is bad? And so we struggle with that process. And so today as we talk together, I hope three things will happen. I hope the first thing that will happen is that we get a little nugget of wisdom in how to deal with difficulties. I hope that you leave today with just a little bit of wisdom of how to deal with difficulties. The second thing I hope happens is that we're going to tell some stories today. And as we tell those stories, I hope that you will find a connecting point to those stories. And that in the midst of those stories, from wherever your perspective is and wherever you sit, you'll connect to that. The third thing that I hope happens is that we will create an opportunity for God to heal. That we'll create a place this morning where God can move. Because I want to, I want to tell you, it was real clear for me as I was thinking and praying about this message, I can't heal, but God can. And so the third thing we want to happen is that we create a time where God can heal this morning. As we think about those things, I want to pray together. So let's do that. Father, this morning, we're going to invite you to be among us in spirit, to be sitting in the pews with us, to be moving in this room, to speak to us and give us wisdom. Life is difficult, and you know it better than we do. So, God, as we approach today's message, as we think about 
things that are difficult in life. Break our hearts, open us up so that we would listen clearly to you, so that we would see um, some truth and some wisdom today. We pray this all through Christ. Amen. I'll tell you a story. I opened up with a story about my kids, but I want to tell you, if you don't know, that's not been an easy road for Leslie and I. Um, If you rewind our lives a few years, then we're sitting in a place where we have had three miscarriages and wondering what in the world's going on in life. You see, our our story was a lot um, rougher of a road than I even like to talk about. We... We, we didn't know how to process what happens when you lose a baby. And the crazy thing that the first time we experienced a miscarriage, I was on a youth trip with students, and we were in Pennsylvania. And Leslie went along, and, and she was pregnant, and none of the kids knew that she was pregnant. Um, and it was early in the pregnancy, and we told some of the adults who were with us because we just had a gut feeling like if something goes wrong, we want them to know. And so we told some adults, well, things started to go bad in the middle of the week, and it's a conference event, and, and we go to the hospital, we go to the emergency room, a place we've never been. I mean, it's like the deal where you're looking it up on uh, the Internet to see where the hospital is. We go there, and they tell us that uh, Leslie's miscarrying the baby, and it kind of happens right there in the hospital, and some adults are with us. And here we are, young, um, and we have no idea how to process that. And some great people came alongside us in that moment, and we were at a a Catholic hospital, and they were very, very loving about the way that 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 child was going to be buried and the way that that was going to be dealt with. It rocked our lives, and we didn't know how to deal with that. And we're in the middle of a conference where we get together and we sing about how great and wonderful God is, and here we are experiencing a loss. We figure out how are we supposed to tell our students about this, and they didn't know. How's a teenager supposed to respond to that? And so God was good to us. We moved on, and we we tried to have another child, and we um, went through the second time. And I don't know if something happened in my heart, but the the second time I was a little bit more dead. Um, You know, we had those books where you read through, and it tells you, today your baby is the size of a pencil eraser, and then today your baby is the size of of a bean. And it tells about the progress, and so we're tracking that through. I was less connected the second time. Um, My heart was maybe cold. So the second time through, and the miscarriage happens again, I realized at the end that I was real dead, and that was really worthless, that I felt no better after than I felt before or felt during. And so I I said, let's let's approach this with a new vigor. And so we we got really... um, kind of in a spiritually a better place and we started to pray the third time um, a lot more and we prayed together and we um, we knew that God as creator had the power to do anything and we prayed and we asked him boldly to do that I remember vividly this third time sitting in the doctor's office Leslie had been having some trouble we're sitting in the parking lot we stopped before we went in and I remember praying the prayer that God there might be a dead baby inside of Leslie right now but you could bring it to life and I asked him to do that and we went in, and they couldn't find a baby in the ultrasound. And I can't tell you with words without being ugly how frustrated and mad I was when we left that doctor's office. I can, I was, Leslie and I were talking about it last night. I can picture the place we sat, what sat in front of us in the car. I gripped the steering wheel, angry as I could be. I shouted, I screamed, I cried. I was so mad. Leslie and my own faith was rocked at that point. We didn't know how to deal with that. 
People kept telling us throughout this whole process that it's normal and that it's okay. Over and over and over again, we heard that. That's normal. That's okay. It happens to lots of people. And I want to just, it wasn't normal for me. And it wasn't normal for Leslie. And there's nothing normal about losing a child. But people told us it was normal. And so all these emotions that we felt, we kind of bottled them up inside. And I want to tell you what happened in my heart is it turned to bitterness. Because we didn't express this very well. And in in my heart, it was hard. Leslie and I asked some really tough questions about our faith. Before we moved here, and when most of you all got to know Leslie and I, um, we, we kind of moved, plowed through life because we had to. And we went to a fertility doctor, and we, we at, during that process, were able to get pregnant with Hannah. And the whole entire time, I'm sitting there thinking, well, as soon as we have a successful pregnancy, it's going to make everything okay. And I, I kept looking and waiting for God to wrap a bow on my story and waiting for the time when I had this perfect testimony to share and so we're sitting there in this doctor's office, in his, in his office, not in the, like, room or in his office. And, um, and he starts telling me about how this is all just a game of luck. And he starts going on, and, and clearly he doesn't believe in God. And so I start to argue with him as calmly as I can. I, there are, I mean, there are times in my life where steam's coming out of my ears. I think there was fire coming out of my ears. I was so angry at that moment because he's telling me it's luck, and I'm saying, no, it's a creator. No, it's just kind of a luck. And, well, you can believe that if you want, but it's really just luck. Oh, I was so angry. I wanted the bow on my story. I wanted God to do something amazing. I wanted to say the baby was dead, and it, God brought it to life. I wanted the pretty picture, and it didn't happen. And we processed through, and we came here pregnant. And I want to tell you that I, I hadn't processed this then, and that Leslie... Um, we have the baby, and you think, you know, we have the baby. Now it's going to be a bow. There's the bow. That's the bow I'm looking for, and it wasn't a bow. And I've waited a long time to find a message like today because I kept waiting for the bow. We have had another child, and I kept waiting for the bow on the story. And I want to tell you that the bow didn't come. And I've learned a lot about dealing with difficulties because of this process, and I hope that um, some of that that we share today will connect to you. But I've learned that it's okay to have a broken heart about miscarriages. I I learned how to process that um, in a better way. And really, one of the ways I learned how to process that was, uh, as an adult, I had to um, hear my parents tell me that they were getting divorced, and that was really difficult for me to hear. I didn't want to hear that, and I got angry again. And I talked to one of my friends who had experienced this before, and he told me, he said, it's okay, you're not supposed to feel happy about that. Um, It's okay that you feel upset, and it's okay that you feel the way you feel. And you know, when we were dealing with miscarriages, nobody told us really that stuff. They kept telling us that it's normal and all this stuff. Sometimes you need somebody to say it's okay to cry, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel like that's not right. And I want to tell you that when I look back at my parents' divorce, It's still not a thing that's pretty, and it's still a thing that's painful. But what God has done now is that God has blessed us with a family that's incredible. And God has this cool way of doing things, like with the divorce is where there were kind of some broken cracks, but God, he's a God of restoration. And God kind of restored those cracks in such a way that I look at my family, and it's awesome. 
These new additions that we have, um, both of my parents have remarried. Um, they're awesome. One of them is here today, and, and he's awesome. He's a man of God. I'm so glad that I got to know him. These, these people, the, the God has done something where I look back at that time and it hurts, but God's brought restoration in the midst of that. I learned dealing with that to look at miscarriages and know that that's, it's okay to be upset about that. It's okay to still feel the pain of that moment. And I don't have to wait for a bow to move on in life. There's a great passage in Scripture that illustrates this. It's Genesis 32. Genesis chapter 32. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to reference that passage. But the way we're going to do that is I'm going to read for you some words today that come from a guy named Matt Mooney. We're going to hear a story from Matt and his wife, Jenny Mooney, a story about their um, process through difficulties. It's going to come in the form of a video. But I want to share with you Matt's words as he thinks about this passage in Genesis chapter 32. See, this, they had a blog online where they would write about their process with a child who was diagnosed with, um, with a disease that meant he would live days instead of years. And so after their child passed away, the blogging entries, they started to get further apart and further apart. And Matt posted something later after this. Um, he posted something. The title of it was called Limping Along. And here's what he says. I'm just going to read these words for you. He says, Genesis 32 recounts an unusual story, a heavenly WrestleMania, if you will. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. The story, strangely, was the first scripture that came to my mind upon finding out about Elliot's diagnosis. I would love to insert some great epic reason for why that was the case, but the truth is I had no idea why. I assume from the story that this man is some sort of heavenly being, particularly what sort of being is not important to me just now. Here's what I do see. Jacob got his blessing. He wanted it, he asked for it, he fought for it, and he received it. But that's not all he got. Jacob left this encounter with a limp. Not a sermon often preached. However, Jacob's story of blessing could not be told without the follow-up that he was never able to walk right again. That's the funny thing about God. The blessing doesn't always come as we expected. And although we receive the blessing, we're left to limp along. Elliot was a blessing. We'll never be all right without him. But he was well worth the limp. Matt and Jenny Mooney. I love those words there at the end of what he said. It was well worth the limp. I want to show you a video that tells the story of Elliot and Matt and Jenny Mooney. It's called 99 Balloons. Dear Elliot, right now you are two months from being born. We just found out that you have trisomy 18, also called Edward Syndrome. Doctors tell us that you won't likely make it to birth. Your mom and I are praying against that. We're praying for healing. We're praying for nothing less than a miracle. You're our first child, and the day of your birth couldn't come sooner. Dear Elliot, 
You were born today weighing in at six pounds. You are already a miracle to us. Your mom is doing well, and it looks like we'll be hanging out here at the hospital a little longer. Dear Elliot, today you turned 11 days old. We are so proud of you. Today we celebrated your 11th birthday. In fact, we do that every day at 4.59, the time you were born. Dear Elliot, we've been home for a week now, so that's why you don't see your nurses anymore. It's great to have you home. Today I think we'll pack up everything and take our first venture out for coffee. Dear Elliot, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're connected to some tubes. The doctors say we have to keep these in so you can get oxygen to breathe. You are also fed through a feeding tube. We feed you every three hours, and it takes an hour and a half to do it. We've loved learning how to best take care of you. We love it. Lots of people email, call, and send cards on your behalf. You're well loved. It's 11 at night right now, and my feeding shift has just begun. Mom is asleep, and the best part of my day has begun. My shift ends around 4.45 a.m. when your mom takes over. She cherishes her mornings with her boy. Today you turn one month old. I didn't know if I'd ever get to say that. To top off the day, 20 friends showed up at the door for a true surprise birthday party for you. They sang, brought balloons, and a birthday cake. It was beautiful chaos. At 2 a.m. this morning, your feeding tube came out. We had been warned this may happen eventually. We quickly realized we did not have a stethoscope, which was necessary to replace the tube. Since our neighbor was a nurse, I went ahead and knocked on their door at 2.30 a.m. They found their stethoscope, and your mom went to it. After much wrestling, praying, and your tears, the tube was down, and you were able to feed. Just so you know, your mom is my hero. Dear Elliot, you now weigh 7 pounds 3 ounces. You're growing and your food has been bumped up because of your good appetite. You continue to find new ways to steal our hearts. Dear Elliot, today marks two months of your life. Your mom and I are so thankful we know you. We know your face, your noises. We know that bath time and massage are your favorite daily activity. You finally learned how to suck your thumb by yourself. Because of Trisomy 18, you were born with clenched fists, and being able to do this is actually quite difficult. Way to go, son. Dear Elliot, we celebrate your birthday every day with a picture. Lately, we've tried to get a bit more creative. Dear Elliot, I realize you can get frustrated with your tubes and your frequent congestion. Please know that your mom and I are doing everything we can to make you comfortable. Dear Elliot, well, you tipped the scales today at 8 pounds, 14 ounces. Quite an accomplishment. You also have managed to grow a pretty decent mullet. Dear Elliot, we all got to go to a reunion at the hospital. I've never seen your mom more happy. The joy she felt getting to show off her son can't be described with words. In fact, she compared it to the way a mother would feel when her son becomes president or wins a Heisman or develops a cure for cancer. The logic of medicine says you shouldn't be alive, but you are. You are such a fighter. Dear Elliot, you have now passed the three-month mark. You also got your first cordless pictures taken today. No feeding tube, oxygen, or stickers. This was no small accomplishment, but we got it done. Have I told you lately that we are so proud of you? Dear Elliot, today you went to be with Jesus. 
an underdeveloped lung, a heart with a hole in it, and DNA that placed faulty information into each and every cell of your body could not stop God from revealing himself through a child who never uttered a word. Not a pulpit, not a slick presentation, not a best-selling book, but a six-pound boy with trisomy 18. God found great pleasure to take a lowly thing in the eyes of the world and show truth. At your funeral, we released 99 balloons, each balloon representing a day of your life. How beautiful it was to watch, how quickly they were gone. And so today, we celebrate. Elliot, you are well, and although we miss you more than we can express, we're only separated from you by our time left on earth. See you soon, son, mom and dad. seen that video 10 times and I can't watch it without crying. I'm sitting at Starbucks yesterday and I'm reading through their blog, which is 99balloons.com. It's spelled out, not the number. It's 99 spelled out. I was reading through the blog and kind of going back and reading their thoughts that's, that's going on. And so here I am in Starbucks, like with my little headphones on and my computer, and I'm like trying my hardest not to just lose it. I mean, I it is... It's everything I could take not to just start bawling in Starbucks. That would have been really embarrassing. Reading through their thoughts and their struggle dealing with that and the emotions, I don't know if I connect so well to that because of my story. But that's so helpful for me to hear. And honestly, it's so immensely helpful for you and I to hear the stories of other people and be able to connect to those. And that's really the framework for our message today. Like I said, my goal is for three things to happen today. For number one, that we would connect to those stories of other people. Number two, that we'd create a place where God can be healed. And then what I hope will happen is that we would gain a nugget of wisdom from God on how to deal with our own difficulties. The next story I want to check out is in the book of Job, and it's in chapter one. We read it earlier. So if if you want to turn there, that's awesome. But um, Job, we're just going to jump in at the 20th chapter. He's a a guy who's incredibly blessed. He um, is blessed beyond average for the the place that he lives. And so then what happens is disaster strikes. Um, Things in his life start to be taken away until everything comes crashing down on the life of Job. Let's jump in at verse 20. It says this, At this Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Five of the nine words that are in that um, verse there in Hebrew uh, are verbs. And here's how it plays out. It goes, He got up. He tore, he shaved, he fell, and he worshipped. The tearing and the shaving are, are normal things to express grief. What sets Job apart from other people at that time was that he fell and worshipped. 
that sets him apart from others. And the truth today is that this passage teaches that suffering will come not as a real test for us, but comes more as a trial. And in the midst of that trial, God knows that that's an opportunity for us to demonstrate the genuineness of our faith. There's a passage in 1 Peter chapter, six, or chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. It says, In this you greatly rejoice. Now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Everyone, you and I, we're all going to deal with difficulties and we will all experience trials. The real key to success in the midst of these difficulties is not to allow bitterness to take root in your heart. Bitterness deadens a heart. It takes a heart that is furiously in love with God and it deadens your heart. So how do you and I respond to the difficulties? That's the key. It's not whether or not we'll have them, but it's how we respond. Our response is what will determine the worth of of our character, the worth of our lives. Who we are will be determined by the way in which we respond to the trials that we encounter in our life. God will reveal if we allow him a deep nugget of truth within our hearts and our lives in the midst of a trial. There's a guy named Donald Miller. He's an author. He describes it this way, using infomercials. I love infomercials because I love to make fun of them. Donald does too. We share that. Um, Donald talks about an infomercial about the magic bullet. It's a kitchen blender type thing um, where I don't know if you've ever seen the magic bullet infomercial. If you have, you're blessed because it is incredible. Um, They are so happy about this little itty-bitty blender. I mean, they're talking about how this changes your life. I'm not kidding. The guy goes into there. He's like dragging in like this and they're in the kitchen with their magic bullet what's wrong with you today oh i'm just so tired and they're like let's make you a smoothie and they whip him up a smoothie and his countenance changes from this to just happy the magic bullet will change your life and there's another guy who says oh but i'm so sad because i just wanted something real food and they take breakfast food and they blend it up and make an omelet Uh, this magic bullet will change your life. Donald Miller says it this way. He says, we look for the magic bullet in God. We've been sold on the packaging, but we forgot to read what it says. The Bible never tells you and I that life is going to be free from suffering or trials. In fact, it tells the opposite. It says that your life is going to be full of trials and suffering. But we are convinced, like the infomercials we watch, that when we come to Jesus and we come to church, that all of our sufferings and trials are going to be okay. And you know what's really sad? Is that we not only buy into that, but we try and convince one another of that when we come in here and we ask each other this question, how are you doing? And we say, good. I'm doing good. Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing fine. And, and the truth is that you're doing horrendous, that your kid just threw a temper tantrum on the way here, that you're as depressed as you might have ever been in your life, that your marriage might be breaking up, that um, you're addicted to something, whether it be drugs or pornography, or you're financially almost bankrupt. And yet we come in here and try and pretend like we all have the magic bullet and that everything is okay and that God's going to save all of our troubles and our trials. And if we know Jesus, oh, we'll be happy. 
God doesn't tell us that that's going to be the case. He never promises to make our lives free from suffering or trials, but he does promise to walk with us through it all. He does promise to be there with us in the midst of our trial. I grabbed a couple quotes that I think are excellent to illustrate this idea of us going through trials. This first one says, Our energy is in proportion to the resistance it meets. We attempt nothing great, but from a sense of the difficulties we have to encounter. We persevere in nothing great, but from a pride in overcoming them. A second quote says this, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. In the midst of difficulty, how will you respond? That's the key. And that's the story that I want to tell you about right now. The last story I want to conclude with is a story from within our, our church. I've watched as um, Chris and Tricia have together experienced a difficult time in their life. And I watched kind of from afar, and something in watching them said they're, they're dealing with this in a way that's not magic bullet-like. They're dealing with this in a way that's not necessarily looking for the bow. I liked the way that they were dealing with it, maybe because they were just open to share about it. Ty was born a week away from my son, Elijah. So we've enjoyed sharing stories with one another, comparing how big, how big is uh, Ty, how big is Elijah, are they the same size, who's bigger. Um, we've, we've kind of enjoyed doing those types of things and laughing, but um, we're, we're excited about the fact that our sons will grow up together. Well, I asked um, Chris and Tricia, at the birth, they found out um, that there was uh, not a, a perfect formation on um, Ty's foot. And so I asked them to do a testimony, and we, um, we talked about what that would mean, and we got together, and we, um, we came here, and we videotaped some stuff together. And their testimony telling their story, I want you to notice what their testimony does. Is it, it talks about being okay to be upset, asking real questions, and, it, and in the midst of their difficulty, how are they reacting? They're reacting by going and, and running to the church. And we're going to see that in the video. So there's, let's watch a, uh, a video that captures this story. Is it not firing or playing at all? Oh, you lost it in the script? Um, we'll, we'll get that corrected. Um, I, want to, I want to share this testimony video um, with you. We, we fired it in just a minute. But um, I want to tell you a little bit about that. I'll give them a minute to try and figure, find that video. Um, Jerry, it's in the shared folder under Sunday Sermon Media. In the midst of a difficult time, the bitterness is what deadens our heart. There's a, a book that I was reading this week called Unquenchable Worshipper by Matt Redman. And he's a worship leader. We've um, sang a lot of the songs that he's written. He talks about a, a worship and kind of um, likening that to fire. 
says, how can we have a, a, a fire in our worship for God that will not go out? He says, if you try and remove a fire, you have to do it by kind of taking away its fuel, the source of it. Of it. So it talks about, you know, dampening it with water, taking away the, the oxygen or taking away the fuel. One of the ways in the midst of difficulty that, um, that we, we know that we will deaden our worship is if bitterness takes root. If we flee from God, if we try and hide into a hole and pretend like it's okay when we know it's not. Um, I, wanna, I think they said they've got it ready. So I want to show you this video of Chris and Trisha Wilhoit. You never want to hear that your child is going to have a part of his body amputated. They brought Ty up and they had him in the um, nurse's station where we could see through the window. No one noticed anything. Trisha's sister took me outside and said, Chris, uh, you need to know something. He's got uh, three toes on his right side. He's missing some toes. And I said, you're kidding. kidding." And uh, she said, no, I'm serious. And it was within just a few minutes, or actually just a moment, uh, Rick McGill, our doctor, came through the door and said, hey, I, I think there's something you should know. Can you come back here a minute? The next thing we know, Rick's coming in and telling us, hey, he has FH, which is fibular hemolymphia. Um, not only is he missing his two toes, he's missing his tibula bone. And... Um, best course of action is amputation. You know, we basically had to force ourselves to say it's going to be, you know, it's fine. He's okay. It's all right. The good option is is an amputation and a prosthetic. I have a woman that look at me and say, Mommy, why'd you do this to me? And I'm so much more thankful for Kenley and, you know, because it is only by, I mean, you hear it, but it's truly only by the grace of God that you do have a healthy child. And, and to be honest, we got the, we got the uh, reaction that we expected to get from her, which is she didn't look up, she didn't look at us, she kept looking at him, and she said, I don't care. I pray for him every night. What do you pray for? I don't know, just that mommy and daddy make the right decisions and... That ties going to be okay. The questions that I've had are, did I do something to cause this? I question that. If my past sins has caused this. But I never didn't think that God wasn't righteous. changing his diaper and he's kicking, you know how they do, and you know, I was telling him a lot, he's like, well, what do you think, what do you think? I'm like, I just want it over, I don't want to think anymore, you know? I hope he knows that we made the best decision, bar none, that we could for him. Most of all, I hope he knows that no matter what happens, it's not God's fault belief about salvation and how important it was uh, really came along a little bit far, farther when Kenley came along.
so when your kids are there and you think about the decisions that they'll have to make, uh, you want to try to do everything right. And no matter what happens, that's really the most important decision that I want him to make. There's no way we could have done it on our own. Absolutely none. I mean, because since he's been born, we've been surrounded by people that love us and care for us and only want the best for us. And that's one reason I wanted him out so bad, so people could actually see him and see what a blessing and wonderful creation he is. We love our church. I mean, and, you know, I'm sure that some people think of it as just a place to go on Sunday and then it's over with. But the truth is, is that we, we've got a great family, but this is part of our family. And don't don't feel bad at all, anybody asking. I mean, we expect it. My, my parents, Trisha's parents, ask us what we're going to do all the time. And our church family asks us what we're going to do all the time. And we know they're concerned. I mean... They're not asking, trying to bug us. Right. Because they love us, don't they? And thought, I'm deep in a hole. You might have connected at some point and said, I never processed in a healthy way these difficulties. I've tried to shrug them to the side and pretend like they're okay. You know, I'm, I'm looking at our clock right now, and I promise we're going to go long. Um, <laughs> it's guaranteed at this point. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to deny God an opportunity to heal your heart today. There is no too long if God has the opportunity to heal today. If you're carrying a burden and you're dealing with something that maybe you're like me and you're waiting for this bow before you're ready to talk about it, maybe you need to limp up here like Jacob did and talk about what's going on. Maybe you need to sit down with some of our elders and just spend the Sunday school hour praying. Maybe you just want to sit down and maybe for the first time talk about something that you've been carrying for far too long and you've not processed it. You've been told over and over and over again, like I tell my daughter, calm down, it's okay, stop crying. Maybe you need to talk about it in a way that you've never done before. We want to provide an opportunity for that to happen, not so that we can heal you, but God can. We want to be a community here at First Christian where that can take place. And we desire to be a, a family and a community, just as Chris and Tricia mentioned in the, in the video, a place where we love one another just like a family does. And we desire to be that place. And so this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus, the one who can heal, the one who has the ability and the power to heal your life, today's the day for you. Because you're not going to get healing outside of Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you're looking for that family or that place to connect this morning to a church that will come to your side. And just like we've done in, in, in Tricia and the Wilhoyts um, family, we, we come to their side and we celebrate right in the midst of this difficulty uh, with them. We join hands with them. We want to join hands with you. And so we're going to sing a song. And as we do that, I want to invite you, if you want to accept our healer, Lord Jesus, for the first time, or if you want to come and to um, join this church with us, to, to join us side by side as a family, I just want to invite you to do that. Or if you want to come and you say, I'd like to just hang around after, I want to pray with somebody, just invite you to come up as we stand together and sing.